Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. I wonder how many of us, church, would like to live a life of purpose. I wonder how many of us as believers would go, man, I really want to have meaning in my life. I really, uh, I really want to make a difference. See, listen, I know, Ben, that with it, when, I, when I take my final breath, Ben, I know I'm going to take my... I, I, want, I want to live here with no regrets. I want to leave here with... Now, I got regrets, Ben. You don't understand. I got regrets. There are things in my life. And I got, but, but I want to live with meaning and purpose. I want to live with more clarity for God. I wonder how many of us would say that this morning. And I think the passage we're going to study today is going to be based upon the Lord opening our eyes and our hearts for clarity. He wants to show us. And so we have to go back a little bit and we have to understand the context of what he's saying. You go, what do you mean? Well, remember what we talked about last week. Okay, if you were here last week, you guys got to remember. Jesus, right, okay, he's coming and he's encouraging us as well as warning us that the world is going to persecute us. We talked all about moving from being attenders in the church to being disciples, to being fully devoted followers of God. And he says, man, when you do that, the world's going to persecute you. And what we learn, guys, is there is a cost to discipleship. Wait, wait, time out, Ben. Hold on, time out. What do you mean there's a cost? I thought salvation was free. I thought I'd just give my life to the Lord and I'm saved. No, 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 no. Listen, listen. Salvation costs Jesus everything. It's free to you. But discipleship, there's a cost to it. There's a cost to it. When you and I abide in Jesus, we're going to bear much fruit. Can I get an amen? amen? But we're also his disciples. And this is much more than simply believing in him. You know people who go, I believe in God. I believe in God. I believe in God. I believe. I believe. But this is much more. And my encouragement to you is to live a life full of meaning and purpose. Why? Because it was Pastor Greg Laurie's book, which I read years ago, that said this. Every disciple is a believer but not every believer is a disciple. Let me say that again. Let that sink into the depths of your heart. Every believer is a disciple, okay? I'm sorry, every disciple is a believer, but not every believer is a disciple. And you go, Ben, I got a question. Why, why is that so important? Why is that so Here's why. Ready? Because the cost of discipleship could mean your life. It could mean your life. You go, it's important because it could be, yeah, as a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the church in Philippi, he writes this, Philippians chapter 3, 8 through 11, listen to what he says, okay? Paul writes, he says, yes, everything else is worthless compared to the infant value of knowing Jesus, Christ Jesus, my Lord, okay? So first off, he says, listen, what is in value in your life? What is valuable in your life? He says, everything that I have, everything that I am, listen, he says, everything else is worthless compared to the infinite value of Jesus. Why is that important? Because the other day I was posed a question. I was posed a question. I, I know there's young people today going, Pastor, I don't want Jesus to come back. It's not that I don't want to go to heaven, but I've got my life ahead of me. You understand, I want to get married. I want to have babies. I want to have a house. I want to do this. I want to go on vacation. I, I have this. I've got plans. That's fine. But what Paul says, he says, that's worthless stuff compared to the infinite value of Jesus. But we're missing it, folks. There's a disconnect. Paul's writing to the Philippians. He said, I know that's going on. He says, but li- listen to me. Listen to me. 
He says, for this sake, for his sake, I have discarded everything else and I counted it as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness, though obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous. How? Through faith in Christ, Paul says, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. He says, I want to know Christ. Amen? I want to, I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Doesn't that give you goosebumps? I want to know Jesus, right? Guys, listen, that should be our heart's desire. We should go, man, I want to know him more. I want to hear his voice. I want to know when God speaks to me. I want to know this, and I want to see the power of his resurrection. You go, what does that mean? Guys, think about this. We want to see the lost come home. We want to see, we want to see broken marriages healed. Man, I'm so tired of being anemic of, of this, of Christianity. We go, well, amen, hopefully. I want to see the power of his resurrection. I want to see, I want to see the prodigals come home and say, Jesus. I want to see those who are emotionally healed or hurt healed. Those that are physically sick that we can lay hands. I want to, listen, I don't want to read about revival. I want to see revival. And that's what Paul's saying. And everybody's like, yes, I want to know him, the experience of the, in, in, in the mighty power that raised him from the dead. But then Paul says, but I, I want to suffer with him. <laughs> Time out. No. <laughs> Listen, I was good up until then. Goodbye. I'm going to leave right now. I want to suffer with Jesus. Paul says, sharing in his death. That's where I cast my vote. Nope. Listen, Lord, I love you and all. You know, and I want to see the power of resurrection, but suffering. And see, Paul says, no, it's all one package. It's all one package. Do you love Jesus that much? Or are you going, listen, I want to share in his suffering. If, if that's what you called me to do, and I'll, I'll die for you, Lord. I'll lay down my life. He says, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. That's what, that's what he's saying. He's saying there's going to be some persecutions. There's going to be some Suffering, as a matter of fact, Jesus taught us last week, guys, when he declared, he says, they're going to put you out of the synagogues. He's talking to the disciples. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think he's offering God's servants. Now, listen, up until this point, it's been great. I love being a disciple of Jesus. We get to hang out. Listen, when we're hungry, Jesus just turns stuff into more food. It's awesome. And, and the other day, Paul, you wouldn't believe this. I saw Jesus walking on the water. It was crazy. The, nothing. I mean, we were, at, we were at the cemetery, and he raised this guy to life. I mean, like demons split, man, got in pigs and everything. What do you mean they're going to kill me? Well, first and foremost, he says, they're going to they're kick you out of the synagogues. They're going to kick you out of the synagogues. A social outcast. You go, that doesn't bother me. Let them kick me out of church. I don't. No, no, no. Guys, we're social beings. That's who we are. We love, we, we need community. And so when we're excommunicated, that really hurts. Okay? You know how I know? Because I have Facebook. You go, what do you mean? Don't you, don't you, you why'd you unfriend me? What, why'd you unfriend me? Or, or we'll post something because we want the dopamine hits, and so we'll keep checking. Well, who liked it? Well, who liked it? Who liked it? Because we're social beings. Come on, just, just me? Right? We, we do that. We do that. Now, hopefully you're not one that posts food all the time or all that stuff. I'm just saying, you, you know, it's like eating somewhere and there's food. 
and then you make the rest of us hungry. I'm not looking, not, not, anyway, so you know what I'm saying. But he says, you're going you're gonna to be excommunicated. Guys, they're not, people are not going to talk to you. Could you imagine not being invited to parties? You go, I don't care about parties. No, 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 think about it this way. Think about your BFF who used to go to lunch with you, doesn't want to go to lunch with you anymore because you're a follower of Jesus. Think about your boss. Think about your boss. And because you're not going to get a promotion because you love Jesus. Why, what should that matter? That's what Jesus is saying. He says, and then he says, listen, and by the way, they're going to, the one who kills you, kills me, kills me. (laughs) Jesus, discipleship means death. It could. Discipleship could mean death. It did for the apostles. That's what blows blows holes in all of the theory where he says, man, give your life to Jesus and you're going to just, this is going to be the best. And and then they paint all this rosy picture when I'm thinking all the disciples except for John were, were, were killed for their faith. And John, history tells us, was boiled in oil. I barely like to get in a hot tub, much less oil, you know? I mean, it's like, oh, that's hot. Can you imagine? But think about it. Guys, it, doesn't, it didn't end. Think about this. Think of John the Baptist. It didn't end well for John the Baptist, did it? I, the forerunner, look. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes... Poof. It didn't end well. And the point is, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that discipleship could cost you your life. Your life. You go, why? Everybody say, why? Verse 3. These things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. Because they don't know God, guys. They don't know God. Now, I'm not one to add to the scripture, but because of the evangelistic heart I have, they don't know God yet. I'm like, yet, because I want them to know God. I want them to know. I want them to, to know the power of his resurrection. I want them to know the healing. Guys, it breaks my heart to see these people live a life of, of just hurt and break and broken and, and all of this life, all their life, and then not know my Jesus. What is it all about? What is it all about? And so he says, they don't know my God yet. Now, the word know there, guys, is in, it's in the Greek where they know him by experience. They know him by experience, okay? You know what I'm talking about? Experience. Have you ever experienced something? You go, man, you don't understand. I know. I know. How do you know? I've experienced it. I've experienced it. And that's, that's how we know. That usually works well with cooking, right? Cooking. When somebody has a beautiful, wonderful dish that, that is so good, whether it's a New Mexican dish it's a, or it's a dish that's, that's given down generation after generation, people go, hey, do you know my green chili chicken enchiladas? And you're going... Yeah, I've heard of them. No, no, no. Have you ever experienced them? Well, no. But I've, but I've had some green chili chicken enchilada somewhere else. No, no, no. You, you may have had an, a sub. Have you had? And the point is, is he says, listen. And these things they, they will do to you because they've never experienced him, my father. They've never experienced him. Guys, if you're taking note, I think this will help you as you minister to people. There are a lot of people who have an intellectual belief about God, but they've never experienced him. And we need to be asking Jesus, what do we do in that situation? Because there's a lot of people who intellectually go, yeah, I know about God. See this? It's called oxygen. I can breathe. And so, and then last week, guys, we finished with verse 6, right? Note what Jesus is saying. 
He says, but because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. You know what he said to them? Here's what I love, guys. Notice the smile on Jesus' face. He says, the longer I've talked to you, the sadder you've become. And you go, what do you mean? Well, if you're taking notes here, guys, here's one of the reasons that we love Jesus so much. What's that? He knows when our hearts are sad. He knows when we're discouraged. He knows when we have fallen into depression. He knows when we're upset. He knows that. And so instead of looking at the disciples and saying, guys, get it together, man. I've only got a few hours. Let's go. What is wrong with you? He sees their hearts. They're getting sad. And Jesus says, okay, hold on. I I can see that your hearts are getting sad. I can see your hearts are getting sad. And so he looks at us and he says, don't let your heart be troubled. He says, don't stress. Don't be sad. Don't be sad. Don't you just love the heart of the Lord when he looks at us and he knows that, that we're in a we're in a sad situation, and some of us are. Let's be honest, okay? Can, can we be real in church? This is the time of year when, when, when people are sad. Okay, holidays really stink for people. Right? Any of you know the story of the Grinch? The Grinch who stole Christmas? The Grinch, his basic problem is that he was treated horrible as a kid, and Christmas was not Christmas. And he was an orphan. And so he grew up hating Christmas because of what it represented. He thought it was all about presents and so forth, but he, he didn't get any of that. And, and, and I think that's a lot of people today. They just, they've been hurt by Christmas and they've been hurt by family and people have, been, have, have died during the Christmas season. And, and you guys know that. But I love that Jesus says, listen, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be sad. Because Christmas is not about presents. It's not about lights. It's not about a tree. It's about Jesus. And when we get that focus, guys, the rest can, can, can just be jolly and happy and, and, and joyful. But, but our focus is on Jesus. When you listen to Christmas songs, anybody listening to Christmas songs anymore? Just, yeah? When you listen to Christmas, listen to the words. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Hollywood thought they were pulling a fast one on us. I took my little grandbaby to see the Grinch. And uh, on one of the scenes, they were singing, God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. And they're preaching the gospel to hundreds of thousands of kids. Just on that song. I'm thinking, yes. Why? Because they said Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. Maybe I hyper-spiritualized everything, but I loved it. I was just like, yeah. You're not taking my Jesus out. And Jesus says, now, the way you're going to be happy, guys, I'm going to send the helper, the comforter. I'm going to send him to you. To which, if we were there and we were, we were quite honest, we would tell Jesus, great, we want the Holy Spirit, but why do you have to leave? I like things the way they are, Jesus. You're our rabbi. You, why do you have to go? Why do you keep talking about your departure? You're our Messiah. Wouldn't we say that? We're like, hey, that's fine. But why do you have to go? And that's where we pick up our study. Okay? Jesus looks at us and he gives a smile and he says this in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, he says, I'll send him to you. 
Think about what Jesus is teaching his disciples here, church. Think about it. He says, let me tell you the truth, okay? It's to your advantage that I go away, that I go. Now, if you have a pencil handy, circle the word for go. And you go, why? Why is that important? Because the way it's written in the Greek, it's in the aortist infinitive, and it means this. This has to happen in order for us to appropriate the promise. This has to happen. Jesus has to go so that he sends the Holy Spirit. You see that? One word can make a huge difference. And you go, well, what do you mean appropriate the promise? Appropriate, appropriate, appropriate. Well, here's the thing. What promise? So that we could have the Holy Spirit. He says, Jesus has to go so we can appropriate the fact that the Holy Spirit is here. So the question would be, how is it to my advantage that the Messiah go back to heaven? How do you figure it's, how do, how do you, what's my benefit out of it? Well, think of it this way. The amount of ministry that my Jesus could do in the flesh, being fully God and fully man, was very limited. Wouldn't you agree? He was simply limited around the area of Israel and Palestine. That's all he could go. He could go to the Mediterranean. He could go to the Sea of Galilee. He could go up to Capernaum, or he could go down to the Dead Sea. But that is basically the extent of that ministry. Why? Because he still was fully man. Effective ministry, guys, effective ministry is going to be when Jesus goes back to heaven, he begins to intercede for us. Can I get an amen? And he's going to send his Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit lives in the hearts of each one of us and ministry will spread that way. That's how ministry happens. That's how ministry happens. Think about it. Think about it like this. With God's Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit, the helper, the comfortos, the paracletos, we can move from being disciples, I mean from attenders, to disciples on mission. On mission. Okay? Let me say that again. With the help of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is going to say, He wants to move us from simply attending church, I'm here, to being disciples on mission. You go, what does that mean? Guys, we're each called to a mission. Right? It's the Great Commission, but each one of us has a mission to go out and, and share the gospel, to go out and be a light in a dark world, to go out and be salt in a flavorless world, to, to, to show people the love of Jesus. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about, right? And you go, well, yeah, but remind me what it means to be a disciple. You told me mission. Okay, well, the disciple, we talked about this last week. It's one, number one, a disciple is one who believes the teachings and obeys them, believes Jesus' teaching and obeys them. We talked about this yesterday in our men's group, okay? We talked about James. James says, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. It's not enough for us to go, oh, pastor, that was an amazing Bible study. You are so gift. You are so intellectual. I just can't believe it. Man, I'm not worried. It's not a, you didn't get that anyways. It's not enough to hear that, guys, and not take that and go out and do it. We have to obey the Word of God. We have to obey Jesus' teaching. We have to look at it and say, I know this goes against my family, my friends, my culture, my city, but I've got to be obedient to the Lord. The second thing about being a disciple, guys, is that we have to rest in His sacrifice. We have to trust that the sacrificial price was paid and the exchange was made. When he died on the cross, I gave him my ugly heart, and he gave me his beautiful, clean heart. What a beautiful exchange. You rest in that? That's what we got to rest in. That's what we got to rest in. 
Number three, that we walk in his spirit. A disciple walks in his spirit. But I have a war. Do you guys have a war? You go, what's the war? It's the spirit of God inside me and my flesh. Right? My flesh. Joe said this yesterday. The one we feed is the one that's going to dominate, is it not? We feed the Spirit and the Spirit of God, and we read the Word, and we're in it. That's what's going to dominate. But when I feed the flesh, you know, it raises its ugly head all the time. Hey, hey, Ben, no, we're not going to do this. Get down there. We want to walk in His Spirit. And then the fourth thing of a disciple is that we want to imitate His example. Imitate His example. Do we live like Jesus? Do we live like Jesus? That's a disciple. You see, that's how the church was birthed. Okay, it was birthed by, by what? By the Holy Spirit, living in the hearts. Why? Because, because the writer of, of Acts, Dr. Luke, says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has what? Come upon you for what reason? And you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. That's how, the, that's how the church starts, is the Holy Spirit, right? Now, listen, I know when it talks about the Holy Spirit, I know people go, whoa, time out. I've heard some crazy things in my life. I've seen some YouTube videos where they call it the Holy Spirit, and it looks, it looks like pandemonium. It's just crazy. I'm, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. No, 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 let's talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Let's talk about that for just a moment, okay? And I want you to take notes because this is going to be so important in your walk with God, Okay. I've told you this before, but let's just, let's just rehash it. There are three Greek prepositions concerning the Holy Spirit that moves a believer to discipleship. Three Greek. You go, what are they? I want you to note the progression. Number one, it's the Greek word para, P-A-R-A. Para. We get periscope. We get parachute. It encircles the person. You go, what does that mean? Okay, well, here's what happens. It's when the Holy Spirit has been coming alongside you before you become a believer. It's the Holy Spirit that nudges you. It's when, it's when someone invites you to church and you're like, you know, that's funny you should invite me, Paul. I've been thinking that I should go to church. You've been thinking. No, the Holy Spirit's been going, hey, hey, you need to go to, hey, come back here. You need to go to church. There's something's not right in your life. Come on. Yeah, you know, I've been, I've been considering that. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, what happens? When the Holy Spirit is uh, encircled, comes alongside us, there's a couple of things that happens. You go, what's that? Number one, he will draw unsaved sinners to Jesus. That's what he does. He will draw unsaved sinners to Jesus. And we go, oh, oh. Number two, number two, he will convict both unbelievers and believers. That's what he's going to do, Right? Before you, were, before you were a child of God, before you were a follower of Jesus, do you guys remember being convicted? We called it a consciousness, like, ah, that's not right. Ah, and he wants to convict us. But he not only convicts unbelievers, he convicts believers. You go, well, then what happens? Well, then the second Greek preposition is the, is the Greek en, E-N. That's when the Holy Spirit is, comes and lives inside you. Now, listen to me, church. This only happens at the time of your conversion or transformation. That's the only time. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is a gentleman and he will not come in unless you invite him in. 
He's not going to be like, hey, get out of my way. Move. I'm going in there. He's just going to, he's waiting for you. When you say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. It's an invitation. I'm in there. He's going to come in. You go, what happens? That's when the Holy Spirit lives inside you. You go, what happens? Number one, check this out. Several things happen. It regenerates our spirit. We are now born again. See, our spirit was dead. Now it's alive. You go, amen. Amen. Number two, it, the Holy Spirit draws us closer to the Lord. He draws us closer. Guys, that should be the goal. Whether you're 15 or 115 in this room, the goal should we should be drawing closer to Jesus every single day. Why, Pastor? Listen to me. This is not your home. This is not, you're just passing through. And the sooner we really get that attitude, just passing through, the more we can enjoy life. When we put our tent pegs down too deep is when we worry too much. Can, I, can anybody help me? We, when we worry too much, we worry about our stuff, we worry about our things, we worry about our investments, we worry about our money, and our tent pegs are too deep, and we just go, no, listen, I'm just passing through. I'm just passing through. I'm going to the other side. Did you know statistically 10 out of 10 people die? Did you know that? I don't know about you, but I've spent the majority of my lifetime trying to fight death. I'm like, no, I'm not going to die. I'm not. But it could happen because I'm just passing through. So what are you going to do with your dash? What are you going to do with your dash? What are you going to do with your dash? I draw closer to Jesus. The, number three, he will sanctify us, set us apart. That's what the Holy Spirit does, sanctify us. Number four, he will help us with our prayer life. How many people need help with their prayer life? I do, right? Prayer life is really strange because you can start off with the great intentions and it always circles back to you. And then when you circle back to you, you start thinking of something that's not even prayer. You're like, oh yeah, that's how I make that casserole, huh? I didn't put cheese last time. Maybe I, well, gosh, I was supposed to be praying. (laughs) Well, I'll pray for Paul. Maybe Paul will post it on Facebook, and then he'll be, well, and, and see, and we just, I need help. Well, Holy Spirit, I need help praying. Does anybody with me in prayer life? At the Number five, the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. We'll see that in verse 13. He's going to guide us into all truth. When does is, when is the devil lie? When he opens his mouth. All right? Jesus has said, I'm going to lead you to truth. I love that. And then the Holy Spirit is going to teach us all things. We saw that in chapter 14, verse 26. He's going to teach us all things. So that's when the Holy Spirit comes inside you. Everybody got that? Yes? The last one is the epi, E-P-I, the epi. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you for a reason. Upon you. What's that? To be his witness. To be his witness. In some Christian circles, we call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you call it. Make sure you get it. Make sure you get it. You go, so, well, why? Why? Because the benefit we get of the, of the Holy Spirit coming upon us is that he will anoint us with his divine power. For what? To share the gospel. To share the gospel. You know, Ben, I not, listen, in some Christian circles, I thought that there was evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit by the speaking of tongues. I don't know anything about the speaking of tongues. Let me just clarify this. The evidence of being baptized with the Holy Spirit is love. It's a supernatural love you have for people who have even hurt you that you're not even wishing 
but they go to hell. Supernaturally, you're going, I know you hurt me, but <sighs> I know you hurt me, but I love you. I mean, hell is a far worse place. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit is a supernatural love that comes inside of you so that you can tell people about this wonderful gift. This wonderful gift. Guys, what does it mean to be a witness? Remember, it's not something we do. Help me, church. It's something we are. Something we are. That's what we are. Check this out. According to the Billy Graham Association, listen, Billy Graham writes, surveys indicate that a vast majority of Bible-believing Christians do not witness to others about their faith in Christ. 85% never invite anyone to church. 85%. And 95% never went anyone to Christ, Billy Graham writes. That blew my mind. That blew my mind. Guys, 85% never say, hey, would you want to come to church? And 95, 95% have never led someone to Jesus. Guys, that's, that's, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we try to walk in that in our own flesh and and we're afraid, and we're not theologically, and we don't know much about the Bible. Listen, you don't have to know any of that. Just share the love of Jesus. Just share what he's done in your life. You go, well, I can't. Well, then be part of the 80, be part of the 15% that says, hey, can you want to come to church? Want to come to church? Whatever God does in your life. And so he says, okay, that's the Holy Spirit. Now, in verses 8 to 15, he's going to give us the mission. What is the Holy Spirit here for, guys? What is he here for? Notice what he says in verse 8. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, let me point something out, and then we'll move on. I just want to point something out, right? Notice in verse 8, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, the helper, the comfortos, the parakletos, as a he. You guys see that? In verse 8, it's actually capitalized. Why? Because we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is God. He is the third person of the triune God. Okay? He's not a force. He's not something that's just a spirit in the sky. He is a person. And then we don't have time, but we could go into how we grieve him, how we anger him, how we... I mean, all of these things. But we know he's a person. Okay? The Holy Spirit is a person. So what's his mission? Well, we know he's going to convict the world of sin. He's going to convict the world of righteousness, and he's going to convict the world of judgment. Now, you were looking at me like, what does that mean? Well, let's chat, okay? He's going to convict the world of sin. You need to understand what convict means before you can understand what he's doing. So let me see if I can say it, say it slow enough so you can jot this down. To convict means to set forth the truth of the gospel to set forth the truth of the gospel in such a clear light that the men that men are able to accept or reject it intelligently to set forth the truth of the gospel in such a clear light that men are able to accept or reject it intelligently. That's what it means to convict. Let me say it one more time, guys. So important. To set forth the truth of the gospel 
in such a clear light that men are able to accept or reject it intelligently. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Well, what's he going to do? He's going to, he's going to set forth the truth of the gospel in such a clear light that men are able to accept it or reject it intelligently. He's going to convict the world of sin. Sin. The work of the Spirit is what? Is on unbelievers. What's the purpose? To bring them to Christ. To bring them to Christ. That's what he does. He's going to convict them. Oh, that's a sin. That's a, I've violated for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Oh, that's me, right? And then he goes, he he actually gives it to it. Look at verse 9. He says, of sin because they do not believe in me. In me. That's what he's saying. There's a lot of people who claim that they believe, that that they trust God, but they really don't believe in him. Because why? Because you know that John employs that believe, that word believe, right? It means to jump in. It means to, 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 to be convinced. That's what it means. It's not simple like, hey, I believe the sun will come out tomorrow. I believe. I mean, it means to really, really believe. And you know what? We have a lot of belief, but do we believe in God? We have a lot of faith, don't you think? You go, what do you mean? Every one of you walked in here and you had a great amount of faith. In what? That those chairs would hold you. None of you went. Okay. You all came in and you sat down because you believed those chairs would hold you. That's faith. When you go to a restaurant, same way. We walk in, we assume, we sit down, we have faith. But what Jesus says is, do you really believe? He says, that's the whole point. He says, he says, I want people to believe so that they're born again. He says, the Holy Spirit's going to convict them of what? Of sin, but also of righteousness. And you go, righteousness, what does that mean? The work of the Spirit is also on believers. Conviction comes to those who feel like they are righteous apart from God. And, bum, 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 believers who hold a low regard for righteousness. You go, what is he saying? What is he saying? Listen. He said, there's a group of people here on this side of the stage that go, oh, okay, they need to convict me that we're believers. And so what we do is we feel like we're righteous or we're trying to become righteous apart from Jesus. And you you got that? that? He says, I need to convict you because you cannot be righteous apart from me. Well, yeah, I can because, listen, you don't understand what I do at church. I hand out bulletins with a smile. God bless you. God bless you. How are you? And, and that's my works. And the, and the Holy Spirit goes, no, 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 no. No, no, no. You can't rest in that. And then on this side of the stage, he says, I need to convict those who hold a low regard to righteousness, doing the right thing, right? When we go, I've accepted Jesus, but I get to live la vida loca all I want to do. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And it, listen, and it doesn't have to be right because I'm saved and I'm under grace. You got that? The Holy Spirit says, no, 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 no. That's not who you are either. So he's going to convict the world of righteousness. And then he tells us in verse 10, of righteousness. Why, guys? Because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Well, you go, Ben, I got a question. What does righteousness actually mean? It's the act of doing what God requires. The act of doing what God requires. In context, Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit to help us walk with his, to help us walk in his righteousness. In his righteousness. That's what he's going to do. Whether we go, hey, I'm trying to work for it, or I have a low regard for it, the Holy Spirit's going, I'm going to live your life so you can, so you can do what God requires. You're like, Amen. Then he says this, right? Then he says of judgment, of judgment, right? 
Conviction comes to the world in judgment. Listen to what Warren Rearsby writes. He says, quote, Jesus was referring to the judgment of Satan that was affected by his death on the cross. Satan is the prince of this world, but he's a defeated prince. Satan has already been judged and the verdict announced. All that must take place is the executing of the sentence, and that will occur when Jesus returns, end quote. When he says about the conviction of judgment, he says, verse 11, of judgment because the ruler of this world is already judged. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, but I give a great hallelujah amen to that because the devil's a punk. And he's already judged, but sometimes we give him too much power in our lives. We give him too much and we go, no, 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 you're already judged. You may be the prince of this world, but you are already judged, buddy. The cross judged you. Sentence is already pronounced. We're just waiting for the final return. You go, Ben, what should I do? Take your eyes off the devil and put your eyes on God. Too many times I give the devil too much credit in my life because I'm, well, look what he's doing over here. No, just get your eyes on God. Get your eyes on God. You go, what's the devil doing? I don't know. Well, I know he's defeated according to the word of God. Satan, the ruler of this world, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of judgment because of the death, burial, and resurrection. And let me just add something else. It's not our job to judge. If if they're in the world, they're already judged, guys. Please don't expect those who don't know my Jesus yet to act righteous. Just because we live in a Christian nation or even a Christian city or whatever, I mean, there's people who who don't know Jesus and they're going to act the way they act because they don't know my God yet. Your job isn't to go, well, our job is to go, well, I love you. And second of all, some of, and I'm going to use one, I'm going to use Scott's phrase, some of daddy's kids, sometimes we're not our very best, are we? Sometimes we're not very good brothers and sisters, are we? And that's okay, because we'll let the Holy Spirit kind of, hey, hey, hey. Verse 12, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but guys, you you can't bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he's gonna guide you into all truth, and when, and he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. He will take of what is mine and will declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Here's more work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Number one, he's going to guide us to all truth, all truth. Number two, he's not going to speak on his own authority. Number three, he will tell you of things to come. Number four, he's going to glorify Jesus. Number five, he will take what Jesus said and he's going to declare it to us. And number six, he's going to glorify Jesus in the world. That's what he's going to do. That's what he's going to do. And he's giving us that beautiful, beautiful life. Let me close with this. Let me close with this, guys. Jesus is just a few hours away from dying on the cross. Okay, let that sink in. To you and I, 
it, we don't feel the weight of that because we know that he resurrected and we know that he's alive and, and he's a part of our lives. Can I get an amen? But to the disciples, that's a heavy verse. He's, he's about to go to the cross. They don't know this. He's been talking about it. He says, hey, my departure's coming. I wonder if they're looking around and going, hey, Joe, have you seen Judas? He hasn't come back. He left the upper room, but we're not in the upper room anymore, okay? Because now we're making our way through the Kidron Valley over to the Mount of Olives. Is he going to find us? Did, he, did anybody leave a note? Did, hey, Paul, can you text Judas and let him know we're going to be at the Mount of Olives? I mean, nobody's doing that. They're just, they're just soaking it in. They're going, the Holy Spirit, what do you mean you're going to leave? And, and he says, and, and I'm still thinking, it's to my advantage you go. No, Jesus, I'm going to hold on to you. I need you. What do you mean it's to my advantage? But Jesus realizes that the disciples are getting sad. And he says, I have so much more to say to you. But right now, your, your poor little heart can't bear it. And that is proof positive that the Holy Spirit will come and live among you and be in you. He says, he says I, I've got more to tell you. In a few hours, he's going to die. He's going to resurrect. He's going to send the Holy Spirit, and the disciples are going to do exactly what he said. Proof positive. Proof positive. You see, at the beginning of the study, I said, how many of you want to live a life with purpose, a life with meaning, a life with clarity, a life far greater, a life with no regrets. And you go, I do, pastor, and this is what it's called. It's called a life in high definition. It's called, it's, it's when the Holy Spirit, guys, lives in us to accomplish God's work. We all have a life in high definition. You go, what does that mean? In other words, high definition brings higher resolution and quality to your life. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit, a higher resolution, a higher quality, a clearer picture for your life. That's what the Holy Spirit, that's what he's saying. That's what he's telling us. And with greater clarity and greater purpose, you guys can leave here today with great confidence that the Holy Spirit is in you and working through you. Life in high definition through the power of the Holy Spirit is about recharging. It's about stepping outside your comfort zone and realizing that these experiences with God are closer than you think. May we never live a safe life with Jesus. I don't want to live a safe life. I don't want to be in a comfort zone. I want to step outside the comfort zone and say, God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? What do you want to do with the little church here on Boston Avenue that is willing to get out of the comfort zone through the power of the Holy Spirit to reach a lost and dying world? Guys, church is not about us. Can we get that clear? Church has never been about us. It's about us being equipped here to go out there. And when you leave here and you begin to impact the world out there, take what you learned in here through the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come upon me. Fill me with your spirit so I can... So I can share the love of Jesus with my waiter, my neighbors, my co-workers, my familia, my family. They need Jesus. 
That's what it's about. It's about a life in high definition, only brought to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Whatever you call it, make sure you get it. Father, we thank you today for your word and the truth in your word. We thank you, God, for your great love. And now, Lord, we just, um, we just want to take a moment to pray. <sighs> Lord, with every eye closed and every head bowed, I'm, there's many of us in this room, God, who have never experienced the life-giving, life-changing power of the Holy Spirit to come upon us. We've been scared of your precious spirit. But today, we've learned. We've learned that the Holy Spirit is a beautiful person, and he wants to change my life inside out for his good. He wants to move me from being a, a tender to being a disciple. And I'm going to need the Holy Spirit from, from all the persecution I'm going to face. I'm going to need the Holy Spirit to walk in confidence. And so here's my prayer, Lord Jesus, that even now we would feel, we would feel, every one of us in this room, just a power of your Holy Spirit like we've never felt before. With every eye closed and every head bowed, how many of you in here would say, just, just pray to the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Come upon me like never before. I want to be your witness here in Lubbock, in Texas, in the United States, in the world. I want to be your witness. And Father, if I, even if I reach one, even if I just reach my neighbor, even if I just reach my husband, even if I reach my... I just want that. Would you just pray that prayer? Would you just let God ask God right now, Lord, I don't, I don't care what, I, what we call it. We just need it. Will you baptize me in your precious spirit right now to do your work? Thank you, Jesus, for sending your spirit. And may your spirit live in us and guide us to our eternal home one day. We love you. We love you. We love you, God. It's in your beautiful name. Amen and amen. Let's worship the Lord, guys. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.